0: Are you enjoying The Strange Chronicles? Would you like us to make a season 2? If so, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, family or anyone you think would love it. You can join our mailing list at thestrangechronicles.com or email us at info@thestrangechronicles.com. At please enjoy the show. I'm Grey Cooper, private detective. According to the Department of Homeland Security, my business doesn't exist. But according to the blockchain, a government address pays my bills. The following are the recordings of my case log for insurance purposes, you understand. See, I deal in the strange, the place where monsters and conspiracies dance, the kind of strange you're not quite sure is real or unreal. Officially, the following case did not happen. I told you nothing. Welcome to the Strange Chronicles. Case Log 934, February 14th, year 2053. Charlie Moss, 16, missing person. Tacoma, Washington. It could have been a teen runaway story, but this missing child case got sent my way when Charlie's sister Eliza said she saw Charlie in her dreams and that he needed help. Lucky for Charlie, this came across my feed. Initially, Eliza's parents chalked her statement up to grief, wishful thinking on the part of a sister who missed her brother. Until one morning, when Mrs. Moss went to Eliza's room to wake her up and found her asleep wearing Charlie's ball cap. It was the same ball cap he was wearing when he went missing. When Eliza woke up, she had no recollection of seeing the hat since Charlie's disappearance. She told her mother that Charlie had given it to her that night in a dream. The police think Eliza is full of deli meat. Me, I'm a bit more open-minded than the establishment. I'll go pay them a visit to find out what they've missed. When I arrive at the station, I'm escorted to Detective Tusk's office. He tells me the case is hopeless and that the feds are wasting his time by sending someone, but I'm able to convince him to humor me. He tells me they are quite sure this is a runaway case because the Moss family moved to Tacoma from Endertown. And if you watch the news, you know. Endertown was a small town at the base of Mount St. Helens. And when it violently erupted two years ago, Most of the town and its residents were lost. The Moss family happened to be on vacation at the time, but the loss of friends, family, and all that they knew left a profound scar. Charlie was particularly upset about the move and often talked about missing his old life. So that's exactly why the police think he's a runaway rather than investigating any other possibilities. Occam's razor run amuck. They suspect Eliza is visiting Charlie wherever he's hiding, and helping him keep up the ruse. But ever the doting mother, Mrs. Moss claims Eliza hasn't left the house except for school. Is Charlie really missing? Or is this an elaborate runaway story? The local authorities are at a loss. So you guessed it, that's when they called me. Just tried my luck with the Moss family. No dice. The parents barely allowed me into the foyer of their home, where I spotted Eliza standing quietly at the top of the stairs. Her eyes told me she has something to tell me, but Mr. and Mrs. Moss did not allow me to ask her a blasted thing. Now I've met many a guarded parent when a case involves a missing child. They're going through a trauma, and the Mosses have trauma to spare, but something about this didn't sit quite right with me. If I've learned anything doing this job, it's to listen to that intuition. If Eliza has information about her brother Charlie and where he is, or if the mosses are hiding anything, I will find out exactly what it is. I had more luck with Charlie's best friend, Reggie Stoner. At the start, the kid was evasive. And then I cracked him like a baby oyster. All kinds of wild talk poured out. Wild if you're not Gray Cooper. Wild if you haven't seen what I have. Reggie started by sharing that Charlie had been missing his old friends in his old house, that he talked about Endertown often. Reggie did not think he ran away. When I pressed him on why he thought that, Reggie sheepishly told me that he and Charlie found a mysterious book out in the woods. I've heard many tales of books found in the woods, none of them with a happy ending. In any case, he tells me the book was a dream guide, fairy tales they thought. There was a spell inside. It asked you to speak aloud your greatest fantasy, and it will come true. You get to live the dream, as they say. However, the spell also included a warning whomever dares to deal in dreams will bear the cost for wishes granted. Reggie said he didn't want any part of that, but Charlie felt the cost couldn't be any worse than what he's already been through in his short life. Reggie confided that he thinks that the price Charlie paid is why he has disappeared. What exactly was the exchange? According to Reggie, when the dreamer goes into the dream world to achieve their fantasy, Someone from the other side comes here to live out their fantasy as a trade. A dreamer exchange, if you will. An eye for an eye, I suppose. So what exactly did Charlie wish for and what happened? If there really was an exchange, then where's the outsider now? Reggie said they'd agreed to meet in the woods after school on Valentine's Day. When Reggie arrived for their meeting, only the book was there, but Charlie didn't show. He thinks his friend is in the dream world, living his best life, and that some dark dreamer is here in his stead. I asked Reggie to see this book, but he said he hid it and promised to bring it to our next meeting. Reggie believes that when the other dreamer goes to sleep, Charlie will be able to return. I'm left considering the odds of finding some otherworld poltergeist living out their fantasy of darkness here. It's not looking good. Where would one find someone living out a dark dream in Tacoma? I decided to get more information about Endertown and what Charlie could be going through. I called Joe, my partner. Joe has been acting weird lately. Sometimes I think it's because of our complicated relationship in the past. Other times I worry there's something bigger going on. He has seemed angry lately, not answering my calls and providing less input on cases. We also have to deal with the reappearance of the name Zeke Lasulo, a horrible name from my past. Zeke is dead, but somehow he's haunting me now more than ever. When I bring it up to Joe, it's like something clicks in him and the distance between us grows. To be honest, I was happy to fly across the country, to get away from it all. Reggie handed me the book. He showed me the page referencing the demon from the other side, Fotor. Fotor longed to wreak havoc on Earth. He spent his entire existence looking for the right person to bring him to the surface. And it has to be someone tied to destruction. But how is Charlie tied to any destruction? He's just 16. And according to the text, i found a pretty good kid. Wait. Mount St. Helens. The volcano. Could its eruption have something to do with this? I left Reggie there and got in my rental car and headed to what used to be Endertown, Washington. The map says I'm here, but the whole place is barricaded off. Nothing left but ash. It's sad. Some treetops poke out of the rubble here and there, but it's mostly filled with ghosts. No other side demons and no Charlie Moss. I saw a diner a few miles back on the freeway, and my bladder thinks I should pay it a visit. The diner from the outside is quaint, and on the inside, slightly seedier. Coffee spills across the table as my waiter hurries back to his gaming station behind the counter. The coffee barely qualifies, as it's more brown-tinged hot water. A little girl sits at the counter with her grandparents, who seem to be celebrating something. A shiny gift bag stands out on the dirty countertop. A man sits at the back, asleep on his fist. And someone is making a call near the bathroom. If the coffee is any indication about the food in this place, I'll take a pass. The waiter didn't ask me for an order anyway. As I sip my coffee, I flip through the book and come upon something interesting. Dream Reversal Incantation, If one becomes lost inside their dream, the things you see aren't as they seem. An embrace of a loved one's arms will release the dreamer's charms. A loved one's arms. Eliza. I step outside and see the beautiful, uninhabited landscape of what remains of Mount St. Helens, standing defiantly in the distance I call the moss house, and silently cheer at my luck that Eliza answers. I tell her who I am, and that I might have a way to get Charlie back. She seems to trust me, since I'm the only adult taking her seriously. I say she needs to go and take a nap, and if she sees her brother, she needs to hug him, and think about how much she wants him back. I threw in that last part, but I hear a determination in her voice. I head back inside the diner, hoping that I didn't just play roulette with a kid's life. When I return to my booth, I can't believe my eyes when I see a man sitting there. It's Joe Nebraska. I slide into the booth and say hello. It's Joe, but his eyes are different, somehow red. I'm so shocked he's here. But before I can say anything, he leans toward me with a sneer and takes out a giant, dagger-like bone. His face morphs into a demon face. Zeke's face. And he starts to laugh. Then he lunges toward me. I woke up screaming, my heart racing, and I couldn't catch my breath. The diner's empty, except for the gaming waiter who doesn't register my distress. I hurry outside and squint at the setting sun. That dream has me unbalanced. Joe was Zeke and it was terrifying. I give Joe a call and hearing his voicemail has a calming effect on me. I take a short walk past the parking lot and look at the vast fields of trees and debris. And then I see someone, making a circle on the ground with stones. The man from the diner, on the phone by the bathroom. When I take a step toward him, the ground begins to shake. He's chanting some sort of spell. Fotor. Instead of approaching him, I hide behind a rock. Fotor can't see me. Charlie can't be freed until he falls asleep, so I'll have to watch him until then. I sneak back to the car and recline the seat. I can just see Fotor's back. The ground shakes again. I wonder what this guy is doing, and hope whatever it is, it gets him tired fast. There are only a couple of cars parked at the diner, and one filthy motorcycle. Do demons from the other side drive? I get my answer as Fotor left the circle and got on the motorcycle. He gave a long look over toward my car and then peeled out of the parking lot. I counted a baker's dozen and then followed him. 13 is my lucky number. A few miles up, I found the motorcycle abandoned on the road. I pulled over to investigate and found footprints near the bike, and I followed them cautiously off the road. Up ahead, I saw something blue flapping in the wind. It looked like FOTOR had set up a small camp. I didn't see him anywhere, though. You'd think if you were on Earth for the first time in centuries, you'd do something fun, but. This guy sets up alone in a ghost town, making earthquakes. I suppose we all have our quirks. I thought I was the one spying on him. But when I turned to go and find a better vantage point, he's suddenly right behind me, his eyes glowing. In a flash, I saw Joe from my dream. FOTOR pushed me down and walked toward the camp. I lie there for a minute paralyzed by the lack of a finishing blow. Did he think I was that easily subdued? I grabbed for the club in my pocket, got up, and checked him on the back of the head. It was a surprise to both of us the strength of my swing. He stumbled and went down. At this point, I wonder if knocked out is considered the same as sleeping when it came to the dream book instructions. Once I was back in the car, I called Reggie, Charlie's best friend. I told him to go to the moss house and make sure Eliza was napping. This was our chance to bring Charlie back. Just then, Fotor appeared at the driver's side window, eyes aglow. I opened the door hard, slamming him in the gut. Moving along the side of my car, I held up my club. Fotor moved as though he were floating. I thought about the line from the book. If one becomes lost inside their dream, The things you see aren't as they seem. I closed my eyes and imagined him gone. When I opened my eyes, he was. I was shocked. I had mind mastered him, but then I turned and he was right behind me. Not real. I told myself to relax and be firm. I said it out loud. You are not real. And FOTOR flickered. I had only hoped that Eliza had time to embrace Charlie. I got into my car. FOTOR was no longer there. Jumping back into the front seat, I took some breaths, hoping it worked. As I drove, there was a silhouette up ahead. It was a man. It was Joe again. No, FOTOR. I took a breath in and out. And as I approached, Joe's face became Zeke's and I hit the gas. Instead of a thump, Zeke faded into mist, and I continued down the road. Later on the drive, there was one more large tremor, and I'd hoped it was FOTOR being delivered back to the other side. When I got back to Tacoma, I went straight to the Moss house. At the sound of my motor, Mr. and Mrs. Moss came outside smiling. They had lost their suspicious edge and seemed lighter. Eliza rushed out of the house to tell me our plan worked, and to my delight, Charlie Moss followed behind her. Reggie rode up on his bike and joined the welcome home party just after me. Charlie didn't remember a thing that had happened. He did say that he fell asleep reading a book in the woods. In the dream, he was back in Endertown, laughing with his old friends riding bikes, and eating junk food. He said it was the best dream he'd ever had. Reggie told me to destroy the dream book. He didn't want it anywhere near him. DHS may or may not have allowed me to honor his request. Where do we go when we dream? No one really knows. But we do know that our bodies become paralyzed, our heart rate slows, rapid eye movement occurs. Perhaps we play out a fantasy, a memory, a wish, or a fear, perhaps an utter nightmare. But where are we? Do we remain in this world or go forth into another, only to be left with a hazy recollection when we wake? For now, we settle for the dissatisfaction of the unknown, whatever the answer. Knowing Charlie is home safe, I will pull up the blankets and sleep well. And I hope that you will too. Stop. This has been an episode of The Strange Chronicles, a fiction podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at The Strange Chronicles Podcast or email us at infothestrangechronicles.com. At this has been a Kings of Content production. Thank you for listening.